0: Christmas. We're, we're thinking, you know, it's, it's that time of year. We're, we're getting there. We're getting ready. We're, we're thinking about our Christmas gifts and lists and everything else, but you will never, never give someone a greater Christmas gift than a sincere welcome home. Than, a, than an open door that says, Hey, this is this is where you are safe. This is a this is a haven. This is a great place for you to be. Come on in. That is the greatest gift you could ever give someone. So I want you right now with passion and enthusiasm, turn to your neighbor and tell them like you mean it, like you are at the 11 o'clock service because you stayed home to drink extra coffee before coming to church this morning. Tell your neighbor, welcome home. That was great, by the way. If you see anybody from the 930 service, you just tell them, we smoked y'all. Here's the deal. When you say welcome home to someone, when we use it in, in the context of this series, it's not just a welcome home. It's not like that. It's more like, a, it's more like an imperative. It's more like a charge to, to say welcome home. Welcome somebody home in your life. Welcome home. Go, go out and find somebody to welcome home. We're, we're talking about making a significant Christmas shift. It's a, it's a big, big deal. Let me ask you a question. How many of you remember, go, go back to your childhood, how many of y'all can remember your, your Christmas list as a kid? How many of you remember asking some of the things that you asked for? Some of us are going to have to jump in the way, 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 way back machine to pull that up. But how many of y'all, y'all remember what that, you remember some of the things you asked for? I don't remember a lot of the specifics that I asked for for Christmas when I was growing up, but I do remember this. My brothers and I Every year for Christmas, we had on our list a new football because throughout the year, we played a rigorous year-round schedule of front yard football. And our football would always, you know, through an errant pass skid on the sidewalk or the driveway or maybe an incomplete pass would go out into the street and a car would hit it and we'd have to bring it back. So by the time Christmas rolled around every year, we always needed a new football. That, That was always on our Christmas list. Now... I asked you that question to ask you this question. How many of us can remember when we made the Christmas shift from being more concerned about what we were going to get to being more concerned with what we would give? How how many of y'all can remember making that shift? Most of us kind of age out and and we start worrying about our Christmas list that we're going to, you know, especially we got to keep everybody happy and make sure we get somebody just the right gift and everything gets taken care of and but, but we make that shift at some point along the way. I, I could take you to the very moment in time, to the exact pin on Google Maps where that Christmas shift happened in my life. I was a young, novice father. Emily was around two years old, and so this was going to be the first Christmas that she knew what was going on. She, she started to understand, hey, presents... There's stuff for me under the tree, and she kind of started to get that, and a few weeks before Christmas, I got the word that Santa Claus wanted me to help him with Emily's Christmas list, and so that particular year, Emily was going to be receiving from Santa Claus a little Tikes cozy coop. How many of y'all have ever had a cozy coop in your home? Look at that. Hands are going up everywhere. The buses will wait. Yes. It's... It's kind, of a, it's kind of a rite of passage, isn't it? It's kind of a staple. Well, when, when Santa delivered the Cozy Coop in the box, I, I kind of, you know, I looked at it, that'll be five, maybe 10 minutes of assembly time. And so I waited till Christmas Eve when Emily was tucked away snug in her bed and, and it, it was getting kind of late. And I told Jill, I said, I got this. Went out into the garage to fulfill my assignment from Santa Claus, and I pulled all the pieces out and kind of laid them out, and I looked at the instructions briefly, and then <laughs> decided, this is not going to be that hard. You just got to start snapping pieces together. Well, the first few pieces, they did go together so smooth, I mean, silky smooth, but Santa failed to tell me a critical piece of information. Apparently, the cozy coop was designed by a rogue band of elves at the North Pole whose sole purpose in life is to make toy assembly as difficult as elfinly possible. And The first few pieces snap together so beautifully and so smoothly, I thought, man, this is going to be great. But as you put more and more pieces of the cozy coop together, they, they kind of get tighter and snugger, and it gets harder to leverage them and wedge them in together. And so what I thought would be a five or 10-minute build turned into 30 minutes, 45 minutes. Julie would kind of poke her head out into the garage and say, how are we doing out here? And through the sweat and the fatigue and the frustration, I'd be like, we're super. <laughs> I can't tell you how badly I wanted to quit on the cozy coop. But a lot of you parents will know if Santa asked you to do it, you got to push through it. So I kept going, and, and finally. <laughs> Finally, the last piece of the cozy coop snapped into place. I said a small prayer of thanksgiving and I went inside and I lifted my arms and declared victory over the cozy coop. That actually happened. I'm not just making that up. I really did do that at 12.15 on Christmas Eve. Actually, by then it was Christmas morning. But that was for me the Christmas shift. I knew that From that night forward, Christmas for me had changed forever. That I would always be more concerned about what Julie and I were giving, how we would help Santa sometimes in what he was giving, than what we were getting on our Christmas list. I want to suggest to you this morning that the Christmas shift is not just about making a list and checking it twice. That the Christmas shift is something that God calls every single follower of Christ to in their lives. That this is a milestone moment for every single follower of Christ that is out there, and yet not every Christ follower makes the shift. A lot of us will never see the light of the Christmas shift, but some of us. And I'm believing with everything that I have that as we do this series together, Welcome Home, and we go to God's Word as a church family, that more and more of us will make that Christmas shift. And in that shift, we will take a massive step from spiritual adolescence to spiritual adulthood. And we will begin to focus much, much more in our faith journey and on our walk on what we're giving than what we're getting. You know, this, this shift that occurs is one that is littered throughout the Bible. The Bible talks about it repeatedly, but, but and it happened in the lives of every single early church leader, the, the pillars of the faith like Peter and James and John and, and certainly in the life of the apostle Paul. Paul had this massive shift that occurred. First of all, there was that moment when Paul came to faith in Christ. It was that, that profound salvation experience there on the Damascus Road. But in the life of the Apostle Paul, there was a huge shift that that moved and added to his salvation experience and grew into a presentation experience. What I mean by that is Paul went from receiving salvation to then presenting Jesus to as many people as he possibly could. He realized that this gift was too good to keep to himself. This gift that God had given to him was not something to be hoarded and kept in a closet, but was to be enjoyed, to be experienced, and then expressed and given to as many people as possible. It's what he called his churches to over and over and over again. If you've got a Bible with you, or maybe on your phone, I want you to look in Colossians chapter one. Colossians is in the New Testament. It's part of a a block of Scripture that are letters from the Apostle Paul to these early churches. And if you're looking for it, you'll find Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and then Colossians. And the way that you can remember that, this is how I got through seminary. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, you can go General Electric Power Company, G-E-P-C. That's how you can remember that. But in Colossians chapter 1, Paul is describing what we're calling the Christmas shift. And he's he's explaining to this young church in this this vibrant market community known as Colossae, he's saying this is what your faith is all about. This is what it looks like. Look in Colossians chapter one as he begins this letter to this fledgling church. Look at at what he says and and just try to, I want you to read not just the words, but hear the tone. Listen to what he says. In verses three through five, Paul says, we always pray for you, and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith. We have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You've had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news So he's writing to them very much like a spiritual father, and he's saying, man, every time I ever think of the Colossians, I get fired up. I I, I thank God for you. I'm praying for you, and and I'm I'm, I'm lifting you up because because I know that your faith is real. I I know that it happened, and and I know that you have this incredible hope, and and it's been that way ever since you first dipped your toes in the pool of faith. Ever since you first stepped over that line personally and definitively and received the good news of Jesus Christ, this is is what's been going on in you, and I'm so excited for you. And he's he's reminding them of this and reminding them of of what was, of how it was at the very, very beginning. You know, any of us, any person who has ever come to faith in Christ, You've taken that step, you've taken that leap after a couple of things have happened. Our, Our good buddy Andy Andrews, who's a New York Times best-selling author, Andy says that for any significant change to occur in our lives, a couple of things have to happen. Number one, we have to be presented with evidence beyond a reasonable doubt. We have to be shown that that change statistically and evidentially actually results in a better life. So we have to see evidence beyond a reasonable doubt. But then the second thing that all of us want to know, what's in it for me? And that's that's true for all of us. That's not necessarily a bad thing or a selfish thing. That's just kind of how it is. If we're gonna make the commitment to a change, whatever the change might be, then we've gotta see evidence beyond a reasonable doubt and we've gotta know what's in it for me. Is it is it worth the angst of the change? Is it worth the work is it worth kind of giving up what I'm familiar with and stepping into what is not so familiar? And Paul is reminding the church at Colossae. He's, he's telling them, listen, you, you, you've seen evidence beyond a reasonable doubt. You know that Jesus rose from the dead. We, we know that Jesus came to earth commissioned by God, born of a woman, just like we were born, except he lived a sinless morally flawless life. And yet still, he was condemned to the death of a common criminal on a Roman cross. And on that cross, we know that he became our sin. He took that sin on himself. My sin, your sin, the sin of the entire world, all of the world's brokenness, he took on himself on the cross. And as such, he paid the penalty for my sin, for your sin, and he died. He died alienated and separated from God the Father. But, oh, oh, but, but he did what we couldn't have done, and he, he rose again on the third day. He was resurrected from the dead, and when he came up from the dead, he held in his hand the offer of new life for anyone who would follow him. We, we know that these things happen. Those are the facts and the evidence is the empty tomb. The fact of the resurrection of Jesus is supported by the reality that the grave is empty. And so this is our evidence, but, but what's in it for us? What's, what's really going on here is the fact that we have been forgiven. We have been saved. Look, look at what Paul says in verses 13 and 14. He says, for he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. So let's make sure that we understand the weight and the significance of this. It's, it's not, Jesus didn't go to the cross and rise from the dead so that we could be a good guy or a good girl. He, he, didn't, just, he didn't just want us to have a nice life. We have literally been rescued from death to life, brought from darkness to light. It's a big deal. And for most of us, for those of us who have stepped over that line of faith, most of us, we realize like, man, that's a big deal and I I want that rescue. I, I know that I need to be saved from the consequences of my sin. I can't do it on my own. Jesus has offered to do it, I will accept that. That's what's in it for me, is the rescue. And that's a significant moment. But, but it's, a, it's a moment that has to be built on. It, it, has to, it has to grow, it has to mature as we go throughout our faith journey. And, and then in verse 15, Paul pivots a little bit. He, he kind of moves off of what's in it for us and he says this about Jesus. Verse 15, Colossians chapter 1, he says, Now Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He's saying, God is in heaven. We don't, we don't see God day in and day out, but he became one of us. Jesus is the visible, he was the physical manifestation of God. Emmanuel, God with us. This is Jesus. He existed before anything was created and is supreme. Over all creation. He is supreme over all creation. Skip down to verse 19. For God, in all his fullness, in all of his, in all of his godness, okay, God was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of of Christ's blood on the cross. Now, this is a big, big deal. And I wanna just take a a moment to kind of camp out here because when it says that Christ is supreme over all creation, the, the supremacy of Christ is a radical theological concept that has eternal practical implications. It's one thing to say that Jesus is supreme. He, is, he has all authority over all of creation. He is the king of kings. He is the lord of lords. If you wonder who's in charge, it's Jesus. Now, by virtue of that, he has the authority to forgive us. That means that every single sin I have ever committed is covered by the blood of Jesus. When Jesus shed his blood on the cross, that was sufficient to cover over my sin, your sin, all of it. Jesus has the authority to do that like no other ever. This is why Jesus is supreme. He has the authority to forgive sins. I think one of the things that that God does when he gives us children, God gives us kids to keep us honest. How many of you parents know that your kids will keep you honest? Can I just see a show of hands? And how many of you parents know it's especially fun when your kids keep you honest in front of other people? That's always a real pleasure. Just a great blessing. Well, I recently had a keep them honest moment with my adult daughter, Emily. Emily. We work together and we, we do, we actually work together really, really well. But a few weeks ago, for some reason, and I, don't, I wish I could remember the details. I asked Emily, she didn't remember the details either, but for some reason, on one particular day, we kind of got sideways with each other. You know, it just happens sometimes. And, and really, what happened is Emily said something to me. And I overreacted. I came in a little hot with more octane than I should have. How many of y'all know that that (laughs) dynamic? Anybody in the room? Thank you. I appreciate your honesty. Those of you not raising your hand, we have a lying clinic available for you. (laughs) But usually, if when I make a parental mistake, that's usually it. I kind of overreact. I get a little hot. I'm I'm kind of a passionate guy. And for, for some reason, before Emily and I could resolve the issue that I had created, we got distracted and sidetracked and had to move on to something else. And that moment kind of faded into the background. And, and we didn't think about it or bring it up or talk about it until a couple of days later we were sharing this with Emily's mother, my wife, Julie. And I said, man, it was, I don't even remember what that was about, Emily, but we're fine. And it was just Emily and Julie and me, and and I'll never forget Emily just stopped and she looked at me, and she said, hey, Dad, respectfully, that's not your shot to call. You were rude to me. So we are fine, And, and it's not a problem, but that's not your shot to call. I said, Emily, that's not the point. I thought, she is dead right because I was the one who messed up. I blew it with her. And so it wasn't mine to say we were okay. God gets to make that call in our lives. We've wronged God by our sin. We have ruptured the relationship with him for which we were created And so we don't get to decide, we're good. It's all, just kidding. It's God's call. Jesus has the right and the authority to judge us. And he does and he will. And yet in his amazing grace, he is the means by which we are forgiven and judged clean. It's an amazing, amazing grace that we celebrate. And Paul is reminding the Colossians, he's reminding us that this supremacy of Christ is a big deal. It's the supremacy, the authority of Jesus that makes our forgiveness possible. And when you realize the weight that God has lifted from our shoulders through the forgiveness of Jesus, he's covered our sin by the blood of Jesus And the Bible says that God remembers our sin no more. He remembers my sin no more. And he removes it from me as far as the east is from the west. It's a big deal. And, and that's, that's the beginning of starting to understand and to live in that grace. But, but look at what Paul does here. Look at, look at what he says. He goes now, in, in verse 26 and 27, he goes now, this message, the gospel, the good news, it was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. It, it's been shown Through Jesus. For God wanted them to know that the riches and the glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. It's not just for the Jews. It's for anyone who would receive him. And this is the secret, that Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. Christ lives in you. You share in the glory of Jesus who do you get to tell? Who, who do you get to share that with? We, we tell our friends if we find a good restaurant, don't you? It's like, oh, you would not believe the Brussels sprouts. That's amazing. listen, any restaurant that makes Brussels sprouts good, you need to tell some people about that. <laughs> Brussels sprouts are initially demonic. They're horrible. But a restaurant that can take those and turn them into something really, really good Go tell somebody. Tell your neighbor right now. Tell somebody. Why is it that I naturally gravitate to telling people more about a restaurant than about the grace of God? I I think what happens is we, we kind of ride around in our own little cozy coop. I think, I think what happens is we get kind of cozy and comfortable. It's kind of like, okay, going to heaven. I'm, I'm forgiven. And we forget that we're not here to ride around in a cozy coop. We're here. We're, we're charged by God to, to take as many people with us as we can. That's our job. Not just, that ain't just the preacher's job, by the way. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's, that's all God's chillin's job. If you have a relationship with Christ, that's your job. That, that's, that's the first thing that you ought to be focused on every day. See, that's the Christmas shift. That's the shift from what's in it for me to who can I tell. That's the shift. That, and that, that really changes the way we look at the Christmas season. That, that changes the way we, we think about the Advent calendar. How many of y'all have an Advent calendar in your house or your home? Let me just see, show of hands. We do. I think we have a picture of the Richard Advent calendar. Check this out. Look at that! Now, all of those characters—you'll you'll notice the very last character, of course, is Jesus, last one to go up on Christmas Eve—but they all go in a separate place by virtue of Velcro. And early in Emily and Joseph's lives, we we started letting them every morning that one of them would take a character out on December the first and put it up somewhere, and. The next day, the other child would take a character out and put it up somewhere and and everything was cool until one year, we had a family meltdown over the advent calendar. And I I don't remember what happened. I just know that there was a meltdown because the same child got to put Jesus in the manger two years in a row. (laughs) And the other child had a complete and utter meltdown and it's, it's not important, I'm not gonna name names, it doesn't really matter, but we just said, Joseph, next year, I promise you. <laughs> but here's, here's, what, here's what we did, and Julie is the advent calendar manager in our home. She's brilliant. She said, from now on, we know, we know what happens from December 1st to December 24th. So in even number years, Emily, you get to put Jesus in the manger. On odd number years, Joseph, you get to put Jesus in the manger. Everybody chillax. It'll end up even, I promise you. And I I don't mean to imply that our household is competitive, but that's just kind of how it rolled in our household. But but the Advent calendar, the Advent meaning the, the coming to of Jesus, Jesus coming to the earth, Advent he, Advent the Advent calendar means for every follower of Jesus the, the greatest, most strategic opportunity of the entire year to share Christ with people. To, to, to just reach out. Do you know how many people? Just because only because it's Christmas. Would come to church if they would just have an invitation. So, you know, when we when we hand out these these Christmas card invitations, that's that's who we are, that's what we do, because it's it's not just an invitation to come to church. It's an invitation to come to Christ, to to discover him personally. I mean, we're We're surrounded by CEOs. I'm not talking about people who run a company. I'm talking about Christmas and Easter onlys. (laughs) You know? And and, and they're, but but God loves CEOs too. God, God will use your willingness to hand somebody an invitation as you pay for their Starbucks behind you. Or, As you, you know, take cookies to your neighbors and say, Merry Christmas, we'd love for you to join us at church. I don't know if you have a church home, but here's when our services are, December 23rd and 24th. The 23rd is really mostly when the members of our church go to church because they're going to be all volunteering on the 24th, but four and six o'clock on the 23rd, two, four, and six on the 24th, we would love for you to join us. Or maybe, maybe as you give a waiter a very generous tip so, hey, and if you don't tip your waiter, do not give them a Lake Hills Church card. <laughs> don't, don't, don't do this. I've, I've seen Christians do this. I'm going to give you the best tip of your life. My tip for you is that you should come to Lake Hills. Don't do that. <laughs> give them a generous tip. And then tell them, man, if, I don't know if you've got a church home, but we'd love for you to come to Christmas at Lake Hills Church. Because the greatest gift you will ever give anyone is a big old welcome home. Is is a hey, this is a safe place and we'd love for you to be a part of it. That's a gift. That's that's a gift that represents a massive Christmas shift in your life. Where all of a sudden Christmas and Easter and you know, it's, it's not about what am I going to get out. It's not about like, I hope the, the music gives me goosebumps and the preaching is poignant, but not too poignant because I don't want to feel guilty that I didn't go that much this year. But <laughs> it's on. And you all of a sudden experience a level of faith, a, a presence of the person of Jesus that you didn't even know existed before. And when that happens, I'm telling you, it will mess you up in the best way imaginable. When you step outside of your comfort zone and you extend a welcome home to someone, that will take your faith, that will take your relationship with God to the H-N-L, a whole nother level. That will expand the scope of your vision You'll all of a sudden, you, you come into, you want to talk about a, a spirit of expectancy, of hope, of participation. That's the shift. That's the shift. It, it's it's very similar to what Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13 is, is God's essay on the subject of love. If you've if you've been to two weddings in your life, you've probably heard 1 Corinthians 13. And it's, it's incredible. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not seek its own. It does not keep any record of wrongs. I love that. That's, that's great. But then Paul does something at the end of 1 Corinthians 13 that I think is really fascinating. In the midst of this discussion about love, look, look at what he says. He says in verse 11, when I was a child... I spoke and I thought and I reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. He goes, now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. Can I take just a time out there? How great is that? The apostle Paul, who saw Jesus face to face, Paul said, I don't understand everything. I don't have it all figured out. I, I love that about Paul. That makes me feel better. But then, on that day, we will see everything with perfect clarity. We will understand. All that I know now, it's partial and it's incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, love, and the greatest of these is love. Three things will last forever. Three things will outlast the cozy coop, whatever's on your Christmas list this year, whatever's on my Christmas list this year. Three things, faith, hope, love, those are eternal But make no mistake about it. Of those three eternal things, love wins. Love wins. You will never, ever extend more love to someone than when you extend to that person a welcome home. A welcome home into a personal relationship with Jesus that changes everything. That is the greatest expression of welcome home that the world has ever known. And so I wonder this Christmas season, who do you know? Who do you know who doesn't yet know what it means to be at home, to be at peace with God, at peace with themselves at peace in their relationships. Welcome home. Paul Paul wraps up this pivot, this this description of what we're calling the the Christmas shift. He he wraps it up in the book of Colossians back to to chapter one, verses 28 and 28. He's 28 and 29. He says, so, based on all of this that I've just covered, Everything that's gone before, all of the what's in it for me, all of the evidence beyond a reasonable doubt, all of the supremacy of Christ, all of those things that matter. So, we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us, we want to present them to God, perfect in their relationship to Christ. That's why I work and I struggle so hard depending on Christ's mighty power, That works within me. That's the bottom line. This is what we're all about. So we tell others, we tell others, we tell others. It's too great a gift to keep to ourselves, to hoard. Rather, we give it away to as many people as we can. I wanna ask you, if you will, bow your heads for just a moment. I don't know where you are personally and individually right now. But I do know this. Jesus, who is supreme, is sufficient. He is sufficient to meet all your needs. He is sufficient to forgive your sins. what Jesus did on the cross is sufficient for all our sin. It's because of the cross that Christmas matters. And because of Easter, Christmas really does matter. If you're here today and you've never stepped into that relationship that you were created for, you've never received the forgiveness of Christ, we want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. Just right where you're sitting, I wanna invite you to pray. As God leads, in your own words, pray something like this prayer. Just talking to God from your heart to his. Just tell him, God, just silently, right where you are, just pray, God, I need you. Jesus, I know I need the forgiveness of my sin. so I believe, I choose to believe that you are supreme. That you have the authority and the willingness to forgive me. And so Jesus, in this moment, I accept. I confess my sin. commit my life to following you from this moment forward. Jesus, I pray this prayer in your name. for a moment but if that was your prayer this is the biggest moment of your life and as a church, as a a family we want to help with what comes next and so I want to ask you to do just a couple of things if you would, if that was your prayer would you just right now open up the program that you got when you came in and inside you'll notice there's a connect card there just begin filling that out just right now, quietly, right where you are. Name, contact, info, etc. And about a third of the way down, you'll notice there's a place to indicate there, I committed my life to Christ this week. Fill that out. And when we release in just a couple of minutes, if you would just tear that connect card off at the perforation along the fold there and hand it to one of our ushers or or maybe to someone underneath the blue awning out on the big front porch out here. But that just allows a process to begin, a process that will proceed at whatever pace works for you. And then the second thing, if you would just briefly, as our heads are bowed for another moment, if that was your prayer, would you raise your hand? Quietly but unmistakably, raise your hand and hold it up high over your head for just a moment. Your hand in the air is just a physical statement of the spiritual commitment that you just made. And as a church, we honor that, we celebrate that with you. And as as a family, Put your hands down, but we're gonna put our hands together and tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.